it's the next level. Lucky Yates. Hey there, this is Jimmy Simpson. Hello, this is Brad Sherwood. Hi, this is Claire Coffey. This is Andy Daly. Hey there, this is Kevin Durant. Hi, I'm Chris Parnell. Hey, this is DJ Fine. Hey, y'all, this is David Hoffman. You are listening to the Level Have Fun. My guest on this edition of The Spotlight is someone who, if you've seen any kind of action movie in the 80s, the 90s, even up through today, I guarantee you, you've seen this gentleman's face. He's sort of made a career out of portraying a villain on the screen. He's an actor, director, producer, teacher, screenwriter, stuntman, journalist, father, and now you can add author to that list with his new book, Dying for Living, Sins and Confessions of a Hollywood Villain and Libertine Patriot. Please welcome my guest, Patrick Kilpatrick. Thank you for joining me. Hi, Ben. How are you? I'm very, Hi. I'm very well oldest son's name is Ben. I'm glad, you know what? I'm actually glad you just brought that up because I wanted to personally thank you. Um, when we were arranging this, this conversation, your, you know, your people sent me a copy of the book and, uh, you know, I get promotional material stuff to me, st- sent to me from time to time. And it's the first time I ever got anything that was actually personalized to me. And you actually wrote that in the book when you signed it. You said my oldest son's name uh, best in respect, Patrick Kilpatrick. So I, I just wanted to thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. He's a great young man, uh, six foot five and oh, boy. seven years old. And <laughs> he's going to med school in January. Well, that's, cer- um, that's certainly something to be proud of. Yeah. Um, he's a great young man. I'm very blessed. Yeah. I have another one, 22, Sam. And he's at the California College of the Arts architectural program and does one more year. Oh, okay. Yeah, th- there's there's so much that we can talk about, you know, whether it's the book or your career. But I, I want to jump into the book uh, because obviously that's what you, you want to get the word out about that. But I did read the book. And not only did I read the book, but I also ended up getting the audio book and listening to the audio book because I enjoy – hearing things, you know, obviously in the author's uh, own voice when it comes to especially like autobiographies and things like that. And I have to say, just from listening to the audiobook, you are so descriptive and eloquent in your words, like in, in the way you portray the story that it's just, it's it's so engaging to listen to. Well, thank you. That's very nice. And in fact, you're the first person I know the audio book has been selling, but you're the first person I've ever spoken to who had li- who had listened to it. So um, I, uh, you know, people don't really realize that it's incredibly. I've done a bunch of voiceovers and uh, in my career, but I, I, that is an incredibly vigorous and rigorous <laughs> process, um, <laughs> like six days, seven hours a day. Uh, and 10 cups of coffee a day <laughs> to get through that thing. I, I mean, I thought it just made sense that I would do it since I'd done voiceover stuff. But, wow, it was uh, – I was surprised at how 
my hats off to people who do that for a living. Yeah, it's it's I, I can only imagine, especially considering I think the the length of the audiobook I think was between six and seven hours uh, of a listen. But yeah, for you to do a whole week's worth of recording, I can imagine there's probably multiple takes and and things like that of the chapters. Well, you you well they get all over you if you don't move right along though, because uh, um, you know you you got a studio that's running around five hundred dollars an hour and. Um, and I tr- was trying to do it with, I'm pretty much of a perfectionist, so I wanted to make sure everything was right as rain. And you've got to move right along. Um, uh, I, the volume two, which is coming out in the spring, is uh, longer than <laughs> volume, volume one, the one you read. So um, I don't know if I'm looking forward to that. Again, <laughs> but um, thank you very much. I, uh, you know, I've, as a writer, I've been privileged. I started out in magazines and uh, with some really wonderful people who were mentors and creative directors. So I really um, feel blessed that I was able to train under those people and um, and to pick up rhythms and different techniques and uh, so I'm glad you, I appreciate uh, very much that you, uh, you enjoyed it and, and uh, found it unique. Yeah, I, I really did. And um, it's definitely, I'll be doing it again for volume two because I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that as well. Um, yeah, but well, I mean. Volume two is all show business all the time. We front loaded a bunch of show Hollywood stuff for in volume one, but obviously it covers my upbringing and the magazine writing and. Uh, journalism and that kind of thing, but I think um, Volume Two should find even a wider audience because it's all the the uh, Hollywood stuff. So. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you you did mention there is some stuff in the in the in Volume One. You you talk a little bit about your you know finding your way of becoming an actor and the things in your life that that led you to be, led you down that path, and it, it's it's quite honestly. You know, I've I've read and listened to a, a number of autobiographies, and in my opinion, and this isn't in any way blowing smoke up your ass. This is a, a true statement. It's it's one of the most open tellings of somebody's life that I've ever listened to and read. Um, you know, there were there were moments in it that definitely made me laugh out loud when I was listening and, and reading, and there's so many other moments in it that it they're just almost surreal to read that these events happened in somebody's life that just makes it so engaging that you just want to continue with it and know what's going to happen next in your life. Well, thanks. I, um, I knew I had a unique upbringing and a unique life and, um, that's kind of continued right on to today. But, uh, I, um, uh, and the, the things that I was being allowed to sort of be next to, uh, the, production people and the talent people for the last generation. <laughs> my father being a war hero and my mother's uh, mental illness issues and all of that. And so um, I, it was a real great blessing to sit down and write the book. And also I was a little bit sick of producing and directing and having to <laughs> deal with huge masses of collaborative people, uh, some of whom 
there's always something going on with producing and directing and uh to acting you're you're somewhat sheltered from that but um i was ready to do something that i could just sit down and uh, do on my own and so it was a, a, a wonderful gift in that regard the yeah. process yeah um I, so i i know i i mentioned you know how open uh, you are in in the story that you're telling about your life and, and you know so many oh, thi- yeah. so many things yeah. in your past that you're you're very open about have was that something that's always been your way i mean have you always been that open with your life or was it in the writing of the book that kind of brought that out a little bit I think I was always pretty bold um, in communication about who I am. Um, I wanted the book to be, I say, ruthlessly loving with myself as I was with others. Um, I I have a very strong belief, journalistic belief in whatever the truth, as I have observed it, is. And I think we need that in in our lives. And so I wanted to be as candid about my life as I was about others and what I was observing. Um, that's always been, I think on some level, many of us want to live in utter truth with the universe, um, and be open about who we are. Um, some more than others. And I've always been pretty much out there as far as that. And, kind of bold when it comes to conversation and communication about what I'm doing. So mm-hmm. uh, I think it's enhanced by the book because you're, you're going through that process and you're literally pouring over mentally every aspect of your life, um, which is an incredibly valuable experience. Um, I mean, I, I, I discovered something the other day, you know, people are always asking, why did you end up playing villains so much? <clears throat> and I realized just the other day that my my elementary school did a play when I was in first grade, and they made me the villain. <laughs> that, the that's when it so began. <laughs> I, I was like, good Lord, uh, whatever this was, it started a long time before uh, Hollywood. Um and then I mentioned in the book, even in um, athletic contests, like the coaches, football coach, they devised a defense called the monster defense where I could go wherever I wanted and do whatever I wanted <laughs> and, and be off their, the, their best back or quarterback or whatever I wanted. And it was called the monster man defense. So, um, you know, early on, there was something that identified to that. But, you know, Martin Luther King said an unreflected life isn't worth living. Uh, if you write a memoir or something like this, you're certainly going to reflect on a lot of things. Yeah. And, and, you and uh, <clears throat> that it's something I've actually been curious about attempting in my own life at some point. I mean, I think we all, you certainly more than, than me, I mean, but we all kind of have our own life experiences that... Uh, Others might find interesting, and I've almost, find, you know, been curious about putting that out there myself. I know, you know, you talk about your father being the war veteran, and you, you know, you have all these experiences in your life that are in the book. Uh, you know, I have my own, having been, uh, you know, a first responder at nine eleven in New York City, and I've had people ask me about my experiences with that, and I've 
almost thought about using that kind of as an outlet as well. Well, you know, you're absolutely right. Everybody has a unique tale if it's if it's attached uh, and, and executed in a in a uh, in an electric and and compelling manner. Um, uh, I, I, you're just the fact of what you said about being the first responder at 9/11. That's something that if we were chatting, I'd I'd love to find out about. And, I'm naturally curious about other people. I mean, the, my fiance has lived a life that, I, you know, I, I, I just, it's like the great American woman's novel. Um, yeah. And it just takes somebody who's got the ability to, to articulate that and to, to get close enough to the material that they, um, that they can execute that. So yes, uh, I would urge you to write a novel uh, or a memoir uh, and try to communicate it to other people for a reason that is compelling. We all have something, you know, as Americans, we're all in this very hopefully eloquent conversation about who we're becoming and what we are and what the country is going to be every single day. Yeah. So, um, which was one of the reasons I wanted to write the, the book, which was to articulate how we all can come from someplace and still be very, very different from another person, but still be devoted to the American experiment and um, this country that we all purport to love so much. So, um, uh, I was very steeped in it growing up. And so that's another sort of leg of the book, why I wanted to write it. Yeah. Um, it's, you bring up the whole, you know, the American experiment that we're in. And I want to, I want to preface this part of the conversation by saying, don't hold it against me. Um, you are a very outspoken conservative, uh, you know, in Hollywood. Uh, you make that known in the book. It's you're very open about your opinions on well, Twitter. Well, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna put that in a context um, that's articulated in the book. The the word, I mean, I call myself a libertine patriot. I no one could be more socially liberal <laughs> than I am, and um, uh, I. And I um, so I, I'm a little uncomfortable with the notion of of being labeled a conservative in Hollywood. If you're pro Second Amendment, that makes you like right of Attila the Hun. Um, if uh, I mean I campaigned against the ban on gay marriage in 2008, and have always felt that was it was appropriate for gay marriage because of uh, constitutional grounds alone. Mm -hmm. So my, my politics are actually, uh, a more spectrum, um, mix than most people would imagine. Um, it would be pretty hypocritical of me to be, uh, completely conservative. I mean, the, uh, I think that's the problem we get like music on our radios, we get, we get compartmentalized into situations with labels and things which are inaccurate. Yeah. Um, 
I, I've got some things in my political spectrum that would appall the Republican Party, but it also I have some things. In fact, volume two has a speech I gave um, to the Hollywood uh, Republican Congress. They've never seen a Republican like me. Um, <laughs> and um, so the same is true of the Democratic Party. I mean, I think we all need to look at these things with nuance and a little bit less um, less compartmentalization. Well, I mean, you, know, I, you, no, I, you, you listen to, I just want to go for yeah, a yeah. second back this music. Um, one of the reasons that I think the Beatles and uh, British music came together so brilliantly was that in large measure, everybody was listening to the same two stations. So grannies were listening to rock and roll and and the Beatles were listening to show tunes. And, and so you get this uh, blending of things, which is highly creative. Um, whereas in American radio, you get, you know, classic rock and this and that and that and that and that. We all ought to embrace a little uh, a, a, a little bit more nuance to what we're doing. But um Anyway, onward and upward, I, um, by Hollywood standards, yeah, I guess I would be a conservative. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I didn't want to, think... no, go ahead, please. I didn't want to cut you off. No, no, <laughs> I, I think, I think Hollywood would turn anybody into a right-wing maniac <laughs> because the politics are so left crazy. Um, and uh, as I said, for me, it came out of, initially it came out of, my father was a World War II underwater demolition team guy, landed on every beach in the Pacific before the Marines, was a Purple Heart recipient, a Silver Star recipient. Um, I was reared in egalitarian Connecticut, and um, one of the central focal points of representative democracy, I was reared in Virginia, which is likewise a revolutionary place. Also, the the uh, capital of the Confederacy. So there was a lot of American patriotism and history where I came from. Uh, and so it was appalling to me when I got to Hollywood to see the rampant anti-military and what I considered to be anti-military scope of the political views here. Uh, that right away sets you apart here. Mm -hmm. uh, now, Culture has changed a bit. You know, we have guys like Wahlberg and and Jerry Bruckheimer and um, those kind of things. So I think things have uh, at least people are treating wounded warriors with respect. You know, when I first got here, they were spitting on veterans. Um, so that was appalling to me. And it wasn't going to stand for me. It just couldn't because I, I love America too much. Yeah. So enough yeah. enough on that for me. But. Um, you know, I think the government ought to be out of your bedroom and out of your pocket a lot, a lot more than they are. And, um, at the same time, I benefited from unemployment in my life and my father benefited from the GI bill. And so I think there's a place for a strong federal government too. So, um, and I certainly was uh, a proponent of civil rights and, and those kind of things. So um, 
I think we we ought to all be doing a fair amount of listening to each other. Yeah, and and that was actually kind of the point I was I was um I was going to make is that I was going to tell I was going to say that I am actually registered independent voter more because I like to listen to both sides of the argument before I make my decision on which way. I I mean, and lately my votes have, uh, my opinions have leaned more liberal, but one of the things I really respected about reading in the book is, you know, you're, you're very open in the book as to who you voted for at certain times, but you also give a lot of explanation as to why you did. And it really does, it, to anybody who kind of just glances at your Twitter account or anything like that, it could be taken as if you are very conservative and you're against Hollywood opinion and, and such. But to anybody like that, I would. it's another reason why I would urge them to read the book and read your story, because it really does shine a different light onto as to why you are posting that the things that you're posting and why you are backing the things that you do back and your life experience really helps to gain a perspective as to why you do see, see, see things the way you do. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I also said I voted for Obama in 2008, mm-hmm. uh, despite the fact that I revere John McCain's, um, um, John McCain's military service. Um, so I, uh, I just was Im- immensely disappointed by his policies. And, and uh, so um, it's a very volatile time in that regard and very polarizing time. I try um, to not get involved as much as I might on Twitter and, and uh, Facebook, but sometimes the irrationality from my point of view just seems to be so in such a preponderance that I do uh not restrain myself. So, um, but do I, do I understand why the Confederate flag needs to come down from the state or state house in, uh, in Mississippi and other places? Of course, I understand that completely. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I say our, our eloquent discussion that we're having, as you say, if we don't discuss things, we are in deep, deep trouble. And what's happened in Hollywood a lot is a lot of exclusion and a lot of um, turning aside from the debate. The only way we learn things is by discussing it. Um, I understand the passions on both sides for a lot of things, but you need to dial it down, not you, but the general you, dial it down and try and deal with facts, which is increasingly difficult in our lives. Mm -hmm. Uh, We live in a time where media is so spun, uh, spun out with bias on either side. It's very, very difficult for a person to discern what is true and and how you arrive at a consensus um, about these things. But the only way you do it is by listening to a lot of different points of view, as you say. Yeah, you have to listen to both sides of the of the argument in order to get a full understanding as to what needs to be done and uh, where to go, where to take it. So, um, well, yeah, I'm, yeah, go ahead. No, I, I was actually going to move we on to something else. Yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, it, you you mentioned the words eloquent conversation that you and I are having, and I, I find that. Uh, 
don't take it the wrong way when I say I find it humorous. Uh, I only say that because when you watch, you know, the films that you've done, uh, you know, knowing that you portray the villain, you, you are definitely somebody who at least physically, you know, you, you do have a stature to yourself. And when you listen to the audiobook, you kind of have a deeper uh, voice that's when you put it all together becomes in some ways almost a, a little intimidating. And, I <laughs> and, you know, having this conversation and getting to talk to you, you know, one on one really sets that at ease. And I since then, you know, since doing some research on you outside of the book and stuff, I've seen it mentioned in many ways as you portrayed as kind of like the the gentlest bad guy or the gentlest villain and i can definitely see that i try to try to put some emotionalism in some of these people because nobody is all good and all bad when i was speaking of the eloquent conversation i wasn't necessarily speaking of yours and mine i was speaking in in terms of the, the whole country hopefully that we need to um, not attack each other, but rather uh, uh, try to speak in such a manner that we mm-hmm. we can do that. But you know, I'm not the first person who's played villains uh, or bad guys or rough hewn guys who actually had some education behind them. Humphrey Bogart. I mean, it's been said of Humphrey Bogart that never in the history. Uh, of Hollywood was somebody further from the parts that they actually played. Uh, he came from a, a, a well-to-do family. He was highly educated and, um, by all reports, very, very, um, articulate. So, um, uh, a lot of times you fall into things because of why, what you look like, as you say, whatever the stature is, but yeah, the intimidation as a big guy with a big voice, I have to watch that, uh-huh. you know, because for me, even emphatic conversations can be perceived as intimidating that some of that is uh, when it's the furthest thing from my mind, I might be just being emphatic or passionate about what I was talking about. Um, but other people can, I wonder what it's like sometimes, you know, um, being, uh, having studied serial killers and stuff, having played them and things like that. And the whole notion of vulnerability in, in our society. I had, uh, pneumonia, uh, in December and I, I really felt more vulnerable than I've ever felt in my entire life. And as you're moving about in society with that, that sense of vulnerability, it's a, it's a, it's a different take on the worldview. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was illuminating to me. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, it, I, I don't want that to come across when, you know, when I say that. I didn't mean for that if it did, and I hope it didn't. I didn't mean for that to come across as in, like, I I, I felt, you know, reading the book and listening to your voice and seeing your films that I, I automatically imagined you as being that character. I, I just more it was more in just the voice and the stature physically than anything else i've i've met a number of actors and have interv- had conversations with other actors who as you said you know can play the worst people on television or these these horrible characters but are sure literally the nicest people in person and are completely opposite and that's kind of the art of what you do for a living in the acting 
is that you're able to do that. I think it's also true of people who play villains. I don't know whether that's the guys who I know who've done it, that I've competed against or bumped up against. They all were genuinely nice people. In fact, 95% of the people in Hollywood that I've met, maybe 90, have been really, really nice people. Mm -hmm. Hardworking, very diligent and professional. Um, Even the crazies make it interesting. (laughs) So, um, uh, and particularly, but I'd be the first person to realize people don't give me a hard sign. Because mm-hmm. they will look at they'll look at me and go, this guy is going to kill me if I'm <laughs> if I'm a bully, but they'll give everybody else a hard time. So to some extent, I'm getting their personality through rose-colored glasses. Yeah, uh, when they're really not such a nice person. As so, it's as as I've heard said before, you're the kind of person that they don't want to run into in a dark alley. Exactly, yeah. uh, bullies and cowards don't go after. Uh, although there have been some NFL guys who got stalked, but um, generally they're going after people that they perceive as vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, if we talking a little bit more about the book, you mentioned obviously at the top of the conversation about your your two sons, and uh, there are very obviously a lot of things in the book that you are very open about. And without going into too much detail, you know, sexual escapades and things like that. And and was it a concern in your mind when you were talking about all of this, about what it would be like for your sons to find out a lot about this? Or were you very open with this with them to begin with? I've always been very, very open with them. Um, And to some extent, it's like the analogy of films. Um, They saw films from an early age that you probably would not normally show young people, but the, the measuring stick was excellence. Like when you take a movie like Godfather, it's violent. Uh, most experts would say, don't let a child see it before eight years old or whatever. But I was a little forward uh, thinking in that, that I, uh, because the movie was such an exemplary uh, example of filmmaking that they could see that. Now, I'm not comparing my life to The Godfather, but the, the truth is um, I've always been truthful to them, but of course you're not truthful to them about everything mm-hmm. as you're growing up. Um, uh, I They're at an age where um, I think that they... It, it, it wasn't a big concern uh, because I talked to them as men and uh, I don't think there's any, I think it's better that ultimately they know their father. Somebody once said, you know, your kids know who you are and they love you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think it was better. I don't think either one of them has read the book though. Oh, <laughs> well, so um, uh, I don't think it's an issue so far. Now, my fiance has two grown sons, and she didn't want me to give them the book for Christmas. <laughs> so, um, uh, and that may be just because they're concerned for their mother and stuff like that. Yeah. Our, our relationship is very, very solid and good. And, and uh, I, I, you know, at these, I've been doing a lot of signings, and when there's a down moment at these signings, I will read sections of the book. Uh, 
of my own book. And I really hadn't taken the time to do that. And uh, I'm satisfied that they'll take away good things and that they'll continue to love me and just know we're very different people, different generations, different people. You know, what can I tell you? And also, I do want to say that some of the recklessness and some of the behavior, uh, I... I not I wouldn't blame it on my parental situation. I wouldn't because you're you're self accountable after about the age of nineteen. But um, I I do know I was sorting some things out as I was going through, mm-hmm. and I think we all have to do that to some degree. So uh, I think some of the recklessness and uh, the exploration and all of that it was not only was it me coming out of the womb. But it was also me coming out of the turmoil of the home life. And so, um, you know, and by the way, I would want to go to my grave without having done any of that stuff. I just was an exuberant, uh, experiential kind of a person. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's the experiences that you have in your life. It's it's all of these things that are described in the book that made you the person that you are today. I mean, if you would have avoided them or things had gone so much differently, it, you could have been a completely different person than you are. So, I mean, it's always fair to yourself to be open about the experiences that you have, whether they be positive or negative. Well, do we do we want leaders who actually have been through a large experiential landscape of life, or do we want leaders who've been uh, kind of sheltered you know, a little bit and over, overly sheltered? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's a good question. Yeah, do I think that you need to do drug, drugs to be a great actor and use your imagination? No, I don't. Uh, do I think in some cases that experience is beneficial. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Is, is uh, for me, for me, it was something I wouldn't have wanted to avoid. Yeah. Is, you know, you mentioned political leaders has politics ever crossed your mind getting into something like that? Or is that something you no, just kind of want to stay away from? That, I, I actually wrote, I ran for Congress, uh, for three weeks. Oh. Um, um, <laughs> It was, I, I learned a lot in three weeks. Um, one of the reasons the campaign ended was I was doing two films at the time. And also, um, you have to submit signatures of people who are, I was running for the House of Representatives. And um, when Henry Waxman retired, uh, 33rd District, and they kept denying the vast majority of my signatures. And uh, the reason is the district has been so gerrymandered that nobody knows whether they live in the, dis- the district or not. So we get a lot of people who thought for certain they were 33rd uh, district uh, residents. So I was constantly, uh, they were kicking the signatures back to me. The other thing I learned is in order to do something like that, you literally have to suspend every other aspect of your life for about two years. And, uh, I did it very much uh, uh, on the spur of the moment, which is not something you can do. I have thought about it a bunch. I don't think about it much in California just because the numbers of Democrats and and, uh, Republicans are so far uh, skewed. If I was going to do it, I might take up residence in Colorado or something like that. But um, I... uh, yeah, I think about it all the time because I've been very engaged with 
observing statecraft and those things for a long time. More on the foreign policy side than the domestic stuff, but the uh, the the security of the country is something that I'm, I'm deeply concerned about, and uh, I really how people conduct themselves domestically and stuff is really their business. Um, I uh, just want, I'd like to see the American experiment preserved. And I think we're facing a lot of adversarial people uh, around the world. Yeah. Not to the point of paranoia. I just think, you know, totalitarian governments, China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, um, very hard. You know, we're an existential threat to them. Uh, they know if our vision of the world thrives, theirs becomes threatened and may signal a death knell to their systems. So people hold on to power. So uh, by the same token, they're an existential threat to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't want to put it in overly aggressive terms, but I, I'm really concerned about where China and Russia and these other groups are going. Um, because if we don't unite as Americans and make sure that our nation is very, very strong and the best, and that means morally too, that we're not uh, exporting, if you would, the finest representation of ourselves, then uh, America as we know it may not survive. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you completely. It's it's one of those things that there's there's so much of a divide in ourselves right now that we have to get past it because there are other things to be concerned about. Uh, I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um there's there's one experience that I found so intriguing in, in the book, and it's it's nothing overly um you know, risque or anything like that. You you had you had mentioned at one point in the book and when you were talking about like past careers and things like that, how you were a bodyguard for uh, like Jefferson airplane, Jimi Hendrix. And I found that so intriguing because that's I, I, while I'm, I'm approaching 40, I'm not 40 yet. I'm 30, 39. I have what's considered a very old soul for, for music. I love jazz and I love Motown and, and classic rock and things like that. So to, to know somebody who got to travel in those circles and things like that is so uh, amazing and, and interesting to me. But yet at the same time, you mentioned in the book, how you just kind of got bored of Jimmy's music, even towards the height, because you had heard it so much. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I, uh... I thrive on uh, different stimuli, and um, there's no question that Jimi Hendrix, I mean, I think of him as the clearly one of the greatest, most innovative musical persona on the planet, and then you listen to Electric Ladyland, and there's every kind of music that's ever been invented in one album, but I had been on the stage so many times and listened to it so many times that I would sometimes just walk away and go to another section of the stadium or something like that, just because, um, it was too much after a while. Um, you know, that's not in any way a reflection to say that he was boring in any way. It's just that, you know, if you were to eat shrimp cocktail, every meal for, 
a while, you 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 go away from it. Uh, I uh, it was a great blessing and an extraordinary experience to be exposed to all of that. It was so revelatory and so extraordinary that I really couldn't go near music for decades after that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole it was only until recently the whole idea of of getting tickets and going to a TV, to a concert was would even a, appeal to me. I just it'd been such a pinnacle experience to be on the stage and running around with those people at that time, particularly um, because um, I, I, I just uh, I, I really count myself as very, very lucky. Now, as I said in the book, it got extremely violent. And uh, after a couple of years, I realized this is not something that uh, you want to stay with too Mm -hmm. long because people were getting killed. And, uh, and, but was it fantastic? Yeah, it was extraordinary. Yeah. There were some groups that I didn't get until, I mean, I, I think I had to listen to Grateful Dead five times. And then on the fifth time, I really got it. Uh I really understood why they were so exceptional. Um, some of those groups were like Quicksilver messenger service. So great. Yeah. And they haven't survived in the same way that some of the others, but, and it was kind of a funny time. You know, Elvis was really not cool in that time <laughs> to somebody like me who was, you know, doors and Jefferson airplane and all of that. He was kind of in the Vegas era. Yeah. But of course, I look back on that Vegas era and I think, wow, that was really cool. Suspicion, Suspicious Minds is a really good song. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, you mentioned, cool I think another one you mentioned was uh, Procol Harum, which, you know, uh, like Whiter Shade of Pale is still to this day probably one of my top five favorite songs of all time. You know, uh, extraordinary, extraordinary stuff. And, and, you know, it's like, I think Brian Ferry kind of picked up that kind of aura and some of some of the other things. Yeah, but they were they were wonderful. Yeah. Um, I uh, Rod Stewart was amazing. I tried to see Rod Stewart. I had two signings uh, for the book in Vegas and Henderson, Nevada this weekend. And uh, but he wasn't there. He's got a tour going to Vegas. I just know that Rod Stewart would be very fun. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I really enjoyed seeing him and Jeff Beck, and they often toured together. Um, Jeff Rotel. I mean, we laugh about Ian Anderson and the flute and the one-legged thing and everything too, but that was crazy then too. <laughs> if if you didn't get if your life experiences didn't take you into acting, which I mean, I, I totally understand now. I have so much more of a better understanding as to why you became an actor after reading the book. Uh, but if you don't think experiences took you that route, what do you think you might be doing in life right now? Do you think you'd still be like bodyguarding? Would you be an athlete or uh, do you just have no idea? No, I actually wanted to be a writer from the get go. And so I was always writing. Um, uh, I mean, you know, these things are fantasy. Um, I, I, I actually wish that at an early age, much like Bill Clinton, I had gotten designs on maybe the presidency. 
Because hmm. I think that would have been a really interesting thing. I think the secret to success in a lot of things is really start out early with that aspiration. Yeah. Um, uh, certainly, I've, having particularly watched my son, I think I'd be very interested in being a doctor. Um, but uh, I'd probably be past that now. My, I have my shake too much. My handwriting is going downhill really fast. So um, I, 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 my heart goes out to surgeons and doctors uh, um, as they get older because you, you've got to have a really steady hand for that stuff. Of course, they've got robots now yeah. to help out with a lot of stuff. The only things I've ever thought about doing would be being a rock star or a doctor. Those are the only things or getting a political career early on simply because so much of, of what influences our day-to-day lives is political in nature. So, I mean, you're really talking about, I seriously doubt that acting in action films is really having much of an effect on people's daily lives. Although I'm, well aware of the escapist necessity and fantasy necessity for for human um, the human experience mm-hmm. and movies and novels and all those things are very very important to our the health of our lives. But really, if you're talking about us affecting millions of people, uh, the political realm really is where it. It, it resides. I think that's the same reason why you got a guy like Hunter Thompson, you know, eventually was doing political commentary because that's the biggest game in town. Yeah. Um, you know, the presidency, whoever's the president of the United States is going to be influencing the fate of the world. Well, I and, mean, yeah. Uh, and as an actor, you kind of can only reach certain you know, uh, there's only so many people you can reach as an actor because only so many people are going to see a film that you're in, but you're right politically and in a life of politics, you reach so many more people that you can make a much bigger difference as a politician. If you're, if you're a good politician, I think a film or a novel that's really brilliantly done can change history, but it's rare. And I think, though, I think the president of the United States can alter the fate of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as you get older, you go start looking for different kinds of arenas. How can I have the greatest positive effect on my time here? Um, and so but I think Bill Clinton had it right when he got that aspiration at a very early age. Uh, you can get there if you start early enough. Mm-hmm. So, um, but there's a lot of ways. Certainly, doctors have a great effect on our lives. So, um, I think to be Rod Stewart or Jimmy <laughs> Hendrix or any of those guys, that the experience of playing in front of. I watched a documentary on Oasis the other day. Um, the experience of playing in front of 750,000 people. Um, that's gotta be pretty compelling. Yeah. And I think, I think at at some point in our lives, everybody's kind of had that, that dream or aspiration to be a rock star. I think everybody wants to have written a novel at some point. Yeah. I've had that dream. 
everybody wants to have been an actor. It's not for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've I've been trust me before. I I kind of found the niche for me of being behind a microphone rather than in front of a camera. I attempted the in front of the camera thing, I, and it I didn't fail miserably. It just didn't take off. I, I I tried the behind the camera thing, and same with that. But I just I I found a niche more behind the microphone than anything else, and it's I've grown to become so passionate in as what I call the art of the conversation and you know it's it's how I've been able to be successful with this at least in my area is you know even when it comes to conversations like this between you and I I I try at every opportunity to not call them interviews because I don't treat them like that I treat them as a conversation between two people and that's where I've I've found success so we all have those aspirations, and it's just a matter of finding them and, and and riding with it when you get it. Yeah, and hopefully you have some facility for it and stuff. I, I, I seem to have the equipment for acting, and it nurtured me, and that's why I went with it. And at the same time, I have the equipment for writing, so I do that too. I, I, for me, it's important to play, to pay homage to the gods of literature and performance. Mm-hmm. Um and you know what Moliere said, nothing is more boring, boring than to reveal all. So um, maybe we should say goodbye to each other and preserve the rest of it. I, I, I feel like you'll have to cut this so much. Oh, no. I, trust me, I'll have listeners that will be so engaged in this, they'll listen to to everything. Um, but I mean, yeah, we, we can get start towards wrapping everything up. And, um, I, I do want to say just as, as a fan, uh, you know, you've been in so many projects that two of my favorites and one of them is a larger part than the other one. The only one is literally just an episode of a show that you did that I loved, but I recognized you in it when I saw it. Uh, I, I was a big fan of last man standing with, that you did with Bruce Willis. And, uh, you also did an episode of a TV show, Chuck, which I was a big fan of when that show was on. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, there's an interesting story about Yvonne, that incredibly beautiful blonde. Yes. Lady <laughs> in, volume, in volume two. Oh, uh, fun. So, I'm looking forward to hearing it. Yeah. She, um, uh, <laughs> I had an interesting experience with her. <laughs> so, um, I, uh, I hope you'll enjoy that. Yeah, Last Man Standing. I call it First Man Falling and Last Man Standing. <laughs> that is so true. That is very, very true. Uh, yeah, I mean, we could, I could talk to you for another hour on the Hollywood aspect of everything of your career. But uh, you know what? I think maybe we save that. We'll have you, if you're willing, we'll have you back on. I'll have you back on after Volume 2 drops. And we can get promoting on that. And we'll talk more about the Hollywood aspect. It sounds great. Uh, we'll have a lot to talk about. I'm, I'm sure. Uh, uh, as far as the book tour goes right now, I know you said you did Vegas. I know you're doing some stuff in L.A. Any plans to bring it out here to the East Coast? Well, I did. I headlined a writer's event, an event at the um, uh, largest Barnes & Nobles in the country at um, uh, Union Square in Manhattan on November 17th. I was in West Hartford, Connecticut the night before. Uh, I'm supposed to go to Coral Gables, Florida, and uh, that area yet. Now, where are you on the um, 
East Coast. I'm in Philadelphia. Well, um, what I'm trying to do is when I'm headed in those directions for uh, something else, like Dallas is coming up next, and I'm teaching a, an acting, I call it an entertainment warrior um, seminar there, and so we have a signing in Dallas. But uh, I'm sure we'll get to Philadelphia sooner or later. Philadelphia. Now, my father founded Cigna Corporation. Okay. And that's located in Philadelphia. Yeah, right here in Philadelphia. Um, yeah, so. yeah, well, I mean, like Philadelphia, D.C., they're all within that driving range. So it's, you know, hopefully you, you get out here and I get an opportunity to come out. And whether it's volume one or volume two and volume two, I think you said spring is volume two. That's what we're aiming for. Um, I, I um, to get the beach, um, the beach uh, reading crowd. Um, <laughs> I, we launched the book at the National Press Club, Volume One, at, in D.C. and the Kennedy Center for Performing Arts, and that was on October third. Uh, so I was in D.C., but I'm sure we'll be headed that way, and I'll, I'll let you know. Good. And that would be great to see you out there. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to meet you in person and, you know, talk talk some more with you. Um, but, they always say everybody comes to L.A. sooner or later. So <laughs> I've I've been to L.A. I, I've been there. I just I don't know if I could make a living there, but who knows what the future holds. Uh, but Patrick. Onward. Yeah. Uh, Patrick, I thank what, I just want to add for your audience. Sure. Amazon.com for the book and then Barnes and Nobles. And if somebody can't make one of our signings and they'd like an autographed copy, uh, they can go to patrickkillpatrick.com and uh, I'll sh it, it'll be shipped out and I'll personalize it and all of that. So, uh, And then Audibles, of course, is on Amazon Audibles and all of that. So uh, onward and upward. Yeah, you, you beat me to it. That's actually what I was going to mention. I was going to mention... Well, I should have let you. That would have been much, much more, less self-aggrandizing. <laughs> no, it's 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 perfectly fine. Every, everybody is a self-promoter in their own way. So it's you got to let people do what they do. Uh, but, you know, in addition, yeah, dying for, dying for Living, Sins and Confessions of a Hollywood Villain and Libertine Patriot, as you mentioned, Amazon, Barnes & Barnes Noble, your website, Patrick Patrick, PatrickKillPatrick.com. I also want to mention uh, you're on Instagram, at Patrick Kilpatrick, and you're also on Twitter, I'm Pat Kilpatrick. So uh, we, I encourage all my fan, uh, all my listeners to, uh, to, to follow you on social media as well. And, and I'll try to be eloquent in my, <laughs> um, my, my rage. No, don't, don't change who you are, Patrick. That's, that's what makes you who you are. So. All right. Well, God bless you, Matt. <laughs> you take care of yourself. And I'll look forward to seeing you in the days ahead. For sure. You take care of yourself and we'll talk soon for sure. All right. Cheers.